G'day, welcome to Partaker's Podcast. Come on in. Today we continue our series of five podcasts dealing with the word Atonement. Atonement Podcast 2. So what is this Day of Atonement all about? The first ten, the first ten verses here give us a summary. It starts by referring back to Leviticus chapter 10 with the story of Aaron's sons, Abihu and Nadab. Through their death, the Lord God states the fundamental principles for priests. Only those priests could meditate for the nation before him, and they had to be spiritually and ceremonially clean. And as we've seen, do things obediently and properly. Worship of God was and is to be on God's terms and his terms alone. Could that describe our worship today? Worship of of God on his terms alone and not with our own self-defined terms and conditions, personally and corporately. Then there were the offerings, the five offerings performed on the Day of Atonement in order to cleanse and reconsecrate the tabernacle. All included the death of an animal and therefore involved blood. There were two blood atonement sin offerings for priests and people. There was one scapegoat sin offering for everybody and two burnt offerings for priests and people. So another question, why blood? Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 tells us, For the life of a creature is in the blood, And I have given you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Each day, every one of us produces 200 billion new red blood cells and our blood travels 12,000 miles within our body. Amazing, isn't it? The liquid part of blood is called plasma, which consists of water, salts and protein. Over half of blood is plasma. The solid part of blood contains red blood cells, white blood cells and platelets. I hope the doctor will affirm that I'm doing this right. Thank you. My study paid off. Red blood cells deliver oxygen to organs, cells and tissues. And they also provide essential nutrients such as amino acids, fatty acids and glucose. And all the while, removing the waste materials such as carbon dioxide, urea, and lactic acid. All of this is going inside us now. Wow. And the white, that's not the first time you'll say well tonight, by the way. The white blood cells, meanwhile, protect the body from infection and foreign bodies. As for the platelets, they're there to plug a wound while the clotting cascade gets to work to form a more permanent clot. Amazing. Any platelet missing and the clotting fails. And why is blood red and not green or blue or purple for the royalty? Because of iron. All this reflects why there is life in the blood. Why was blood used to cleanse or atone? Did God need blood as some form of bloodlust or to satiate and quench his bloodthirstiness? No, not at all. God didn't need blood, but the blood of the animal was used to show and symbolize that sin, all sin, each and every sin, had a cost or price to pay. 
and that that cost was blood because life is in the blood. The substitution of a dead animal reflected a temporary covering or veneer, which is why it needed to be done over and over and over and over again. And all these sacrifices, cleansings and ceremonies were to be done not for the sake of God, but as a picture for his people to help them understand how serious sin was and how difficult it was to provide a remedy for it. Remember, the nation of Israel was to be a shining light of God to all the nations. You can read more about it further in the book, particularly in Leviticus chapter 19. Is our view of sin that serious? Sin is a missing of the mark that God has set. Sin being our lack of conformity either in deeds, attitudes, or state to that which Almighty God has already decreed and commanded. Such as not telling people the gospel. Those are sins of commission. Sin can also be when we're not doing as we ought to do such as loving each other, sacrificially. Those are sins of omission. And Aaron, what about good old Aaron? During his normal day duties, he represented God before the people and was dressed as a king. Probably even finer than good old King Charles II. To signal that, he would wear grand clothes which signified the high honour in which he was held. And therefore Aaron was ordinarily dressed in very special and ornate clothes to signify the high honour and duty as God's representative to the people of Israel in his finery. However, on this Day of Atonement, the annual Day of Atonement, Aaron represented the people before Almighty God. And verse 4 shows us that Aaron is to be wearing a simple linen tunic covering simple linen undergarments with a linen sash around him and a linen turban on his head. Why? In order to approach God as a servant or slave by wearing the very clothes of a servant or slave. So to a certain extent, Aaron was a Servant king. Look at verse 3. A direct command. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. You can be sure that Aaron would enter carefully, respectfully and reverently and on God's terms alone and not his own. Before he could go into the most holy place, he had to create an obscuring cloud of incense in the holy of holies, to veil the glory of God so he could enter and live. No doubt the violent memory of what happened to his sons Abihu and Nadab provided an extra incentive to follow God's rules meticulously, as it would for any of us. And then there's the remarkable story of the scapegoat. There were to be two goats offered. One goat was sacrificed as a substitutionary sin offering, for the people, and its blood taken into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled on the mercy seat. 
Aaron laid his hands on the second head's goat, the one kept alive, and symbolically cast the burden of the sins of the whole nation onto the goat. The goat was then driven out into the wilderness, far away from the camp, and was never to return. And in this remarkable dual picture, the people were shown that their sins were atoned for and also removed far out of sight into the wilderness. Atonement, at one And lastly, what about good old Joe Bloggs and Mary Bloggs, the ordinary people? They were not to be passive, but they were to actively observe a special and very complete Sabbath rest. They were to remember this day as a permanent addition to their annual calendar by denying themselves sacrificially for the day, or in other translations have it, the humbling of their souls. This involved not doing routine things such as working and feasting. They were also to trust that Aaron was being fully obedient to the regulations as set out by God. They were to ponder upon the awesomeness of God who lived amongst them and to reflect upon the cost of their sin and disobedience, individually and as a nation. On this day of atonement, the one day of the year, atonement took place between God and his people. No wonder there were great scenes of celebration afterwards. God would be seen to be continuing to live with his people a cause for celebration. Wow. Atonement, which was both a sacrifice and a cleansing. God's holy dwelling place and all things associated with it were cleansed. God's holy dwelling place uh, uh, cleansed. The sins and the disobedience of the nation of Israel over the previous year had left impurities as stipulated in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 16. The cleansing blood symbolized the great cost of sin. But now, on this one day of the year, all has been forgotten, cleansed, forgiven and forgotten. Wow! All sins, both for the nation of Israel as a whole and for all individuals, white, clean and forgiven. Hallelujah! Atonement, at one Thanks for joining us here at Partaker's Podcast. Come back every day to www.partakers.co.uk where there is something uploaded to help you, wherever you are in this world, to live for Jesus Christ alone and make him known. Our books are also available on Amazon at www.poptheology.com. See you later.